0: you can turn your Bible to Genesis 2, verse 24, it will be on the screen in English. Genesis 2, verse 24, and it will be on the screen in English. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So that's what I'll be using on Sunday afternoons, the ESV. Genesis 2, verse 24, and I'm preaching on in-laws. So not all of you are mothers-in-law, or father-in-law, maybe you're a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, maybe you're a brother-in-law, a sister-in-law, so hopefully somewhere uh, you can apply these principles yourself. So this is part of a larger series called Marriage and Family, and then in-laws. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we Once again, can gather as your people, gather around your word, and that we are part of the Church of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would give us an ear to hear and to live as the people of God, not only in so called spiritual matters, but in our day to day life. Also, when it comes to our relationship with our families, with parents in law, or children in law, or being a brother or sister in law. That we would honor you, for we know these things often cause tension in families and fights in families, even in Christian marriages, even in Christian families. And we pray that the name of Jesus will be honored in the way we live. So please, would you come now and speak to us from your word and give us an ear to hear and a body to obey the word of the living God. Amen. So here's a quote from the famous biblical counselor, Jay Adams. Quote, Perhaps the most difficult of all relationships to deal with is in-laws, outlaws. laws okay, The in-law relationship. In-law troubles cause problems not only for the recently married, sometimes they keep on going for 30 years. And I saw that person. I was involved in a counselling case with a husband and wife who'd been married at that stage for 28 years. And one of the great problems in their marriage? Indoors. And so bad that the marriage was in danger of sinking like a ship because of indoor problems. So we need to be serious about this issue in obeying what scripture says about this. Okay, so there it is on the screen, Genesis 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, if there are things in the sermon this evening, in the preaching, that you don't quite follow in English, uh, the notes are on the internet in Officer Comics. You can still find that in Officer Comics. All right, so if we're going to deal with in-law problems, then first of all, we're going to give you three commands. First command is put your spouse first. it Ivelix Mont, yes, put your spouse first. Now, maybe it sounds like a given. You think, of course, of course I should put my spouse first, but it's not a given. It's not a given. For instance, a guy came to me. This must have been almost 10 years ago. So this guy comes for counselling. A total stranger, I don't know him. i just get a call, i got your number from so and so. Can I come and see you for counselling? This guy's got marriage problems. So he arrives at my house, comes in, and... Oh, his wife has to stay in the car. He's going to talk to me alone first. And so he talks to me, and he lost me at a certain point. Because he said... Yes, and my wife this, and my wife that, and my wife this, and my wife won't listen to me or my mother. Ah, you lost me there. You see, because he's placing his mother above his wife. His mother's more important to him than his wife. And in many cases, this comes from the parents. Yes, from the children as well, but it comes from the parents. Because some parents, I don't know where they get this idea, but it's not from Scripture. Not from the Bible. They have this idea that the parent-child relationship is a closer bond than the husband-wife relationship. Well, that's not what verse 24 tells us. Verse 24 says, therefore man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become God, uh, one flesh. Here's another quote from Jane Adams. Quote, God put a husband and wife in the garden of Eden, not a parent and child. Now someone's going to say to me, and you know what they're going to say, and maybe that's you, blood is thicker than water. And what they mean by that is family relationships, that's a closer bond, a closer union than the relationships you choose. For instance, marriage. I choose this woman to be my wife, so that's just a choice, but blood is thicker than water. Actually, I've got news for you. Number one, that's not biblical. Because verse 24 says, Leave your parents and hold fast to your wife. Number two, they don't know the full English proverb. The English saying actually goes, The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. That's the actual proverb. Or the actual English saying. So what it means is that the the blood of the covenant, marriage, is stronger than the water of the womb, just family relationships. Because scripture says, leave your parents, hold fast to your wife, become one flesh. And there's verse 24. It's clear. So verse 24 says that the, the parent-child relationships uh, that needs to be broken. Not in the sense of, you know, no longer my child, I'm no, I'm no longer your, your father or your mother. But that there's, a, there's a certain... Way in which that relationship should be broken. You leave the house. The Bible teaches us the husband wife relationship, you hold fast to your wife, wife you become one flesh. Husband wife relationship shouldn't be broken. Jesus tells us what God has joined together, let no man separate. So, let's apply it to ourselves this evening. If, If your parents or your children or your brother, or your sister, all other family members, be they grandparents or whoever, or your friends, if you have a stronger and closer relationship with them than you do with your husband or wife, you are disobedient to God. And God tells you, repent of your sin. God tells you, obey my word. You need to repent and confess your sin to God, to your wife or your husband, and say so I've sinned against you, and to your family and set things right. You need to do verse 24 again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, you're going to hear me quote that verse over and over tonight. Second commandment. We're going to deal with indoor problems. Secondly, leave your parents. Fill your oaths. Leave your parents. So I read in a book by Wayne Mack, it's called Sweethearts for a Lifetime. And in the book Wayne Mack writes, of a story, a woman who told his wife that, you know, my mother is already dead, she's no longer here, but when I go shopping, and let's say for instance this woman is shopping for clothing, for clothes, when I go shopping, then I ask myself, will my mother be happy if I buy this? And if she's not happy, if I think she, she wouldn't have been happy, then I don't buy it. And then sometimes I do go ahead and buy it, and then I feel very guilty. So her mother is dead, and she still hasn't left her parents. That's still her reference book of how should she act, what should she do, or shouldn't she do. God commands us, leave your parents. A man shall leave his father and mother. And yes, I know Moses is saying, the man shall leave his parents. That doesn't mean the woman shouldn't, because we find in Psalm 45 verse 10, in the Afrikaans 45 verse 11, where it says... Leave your house, or forget your house and your father's house. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, forget all about your parents, just push them aside. What it means is, that's a poem about Christ's marriage to, to His church, the Messiah's marriage to His bride. And we know that Jesus' relationship with the church, your, your marriage is really just a picture of that. And so it says, we leave and we hold false. Okay, so that goes for the wife to also Genesis, and in Ruth, what uh, Ruth read to us. What Ruth read? Ruth, not Ruth. No. (laughs) Tongue twister. So, um, so in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, you saw Ruth left her parents and said, I want to go with you, Naomi, I want to go back to Israel, I want to worship your God. And then also in Genesis 24, where the servant, Abraham sent his servant to get a wife for Isaac. And then they say to Rebecca, do you want to come with this man? And she leaves her family and then goes and she marries marries Isaac. So it's not only the husband that should leave. So why in the world, why does Moses say in verse 24, because Moses wrote this, why does Moses say, the man shall be his parents? The the reason he focuses on the man is because the man is the leader of his own. And very often, if the man deals with in-law problems, then the problems are sorted out. That's often the case. So I'm not saying always the case. So we, sh- we, don't, we don't need men who are passive. We don't need men who are jellyfish. You know, they've got no backbone to sort out their in problems. Very often you find men who tell their wives, sort out the issues you have with your, my mother. Sort out the issues between you and my sister. Where actually the man should stand up as the head of the home. The man should fasten his belt and say, I'm not going to allow this to continue. I'm going to sort out these problems. Even if the wife may cause the problems, the man is the one responsible to deal with. He's the leader of the home. And very often, the husbands don't do anything. Why? Because they're afraid of their own family. Or they don't do anything. Why? Because they put their mothers and their fathers above their wife. And actually what should happen is, don't put, as we already saw, don't put your parents or your brother or your sister or whoever above your spouse, above your husband or wife. And so that kind of husband should repent of his sin. That kind of husband should start praying about the problem. That kind of husband, he should pick up the phone, make, appointment with his, make an appointment with his family and say, we want to talk about this, we want to sort this out. And actually, the main thing that should happen there is that husband should call his father and say, Dad, I want to talk to you. Even if the mother's the problem, that he should speak to his father and say, Dad, can you please talk to mom? This needs to be sorted out. We should call his brother and say, please, can you talk to your wife? I'm going to work with my wife and try and help her through this, but we need to sort this out. And if the men aren't willing to talk because they're jellyfish, they're passive men, they don't want to take up their duties and talk to the mother and the sister and the sister-in-law, then you call your mom. And you say, mom, I want to talk to you. Or you call your sister and say, we want to get together, we want to talk through this. And then I'm not going to go through all the, the um, principles that I've already preached on. I've preached a whole sermon on communication. i preached a whole sermon on how to deal with conflict. Conflict I'm dealing with. Man. How to deal with conflict and sort out things. Go back to those sermons and follow the principles there. Remain calm. Don't raise your voice. Don't get all excited. Remain calm. Sit down like adults and talk through the matter. And number one, if you're that man, confess your own sin. Because you've left it for way too long. You confess your sin and say, Forgive me. I shouldn't have left this. It shouldn't have gone this far. It shouldn't have come this far. I should have dealt with it earlier. And then secondly, you help your wife. if If she's in the wrong, then you help her to confess her sin. And then you tell your family, These are the issues we have. These are the things that are a concern to us. These are the problems, these are the things that that really bother us, and we want to try and solve this. And if they don't want to acknowledge their guilt, if they say that we're not wrong, you're the ones in the wrong, then you try and solve it, and maybe even get a mediator, maybe a little or a disenfonger that can help you, an objective person, maybe your spiritual leaders from the church, and if none of that works, and you've done what you can, you leave it with the Lord, and you pray about the matter, and maybe, you'll, maybe some of the ladies here are going to say, my husband will never do it. My husband's not going to go and we're going to sit down and sort out these problems with the individuals. But what you do then is you pray for your husband. And then you go very gently and you talk to your husband and say, can I just talk to you and can we try and solve this problem and solve this issue? And if that doesn't work, then you make an appointment with your in. You sit down with them saying, I want to try and sort things out. You pray, you ask the Lord's help, for the Lord's help, and then you don't sort out the issue on WhatsApp. You're just going to cause problems to the start on WhatsApp. Well, you can't see facial expressions on WhatsApp. You can't hear the tone of voice on WhatsApp. You can't see body language on WhatsApp. So try and sort it out face to face. Unless your in-laws live far away, Maybe they're overseas, the then next best is a WhatsApp video call where at least you can hear the tone of voice and you can see the face. And you try and sort the things out. Listen, if everyone just follows verse 24, if everyone follows this, then the problems will be minimal. You won't have any indoor problems. For instance, you've probably heard of the story of the mom. Now, actually, the daughter. So the daughter, she's, she's married now for four months or for three months. And her and her husband have their, they they now have their first big fight. And so she calls her mom, I want to come home. And her mom's really, you know, concerned, my poor daughter. And she, she gives the phone, she calls the dad, and she says, Our daughter, it's our daughter on the phone, she wants to come home. And the dad says, You are home. And he puts down the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Leave your parents and work on your marriage. Work on those marriage problems. Now, leaving your parents, it doesn't mean you no longer respect them. It doesn't mean you no longer honor your parents. It doesn't mean you no longer love your parents. When Moses said in the Ten Commandments, Honor your father and your mother, he didn't look down at the children and then go on, and don't commit murder and talking to the rest. When he said, Honor your father and your mother, he spoke to everyone. Everyone, you should respect your parents. Even if your parents are 18 years old, you respect your parents. You show honor. Leviticus 19 verse 32 says, you stand up for the gray hair. People's hair are gray, you respect them as older people. Or in 1 Timothy chapter 5, or in Mark chapter 7, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees saying, honor your father and mother. They're adults. He tells them, you still respect your parents in the way you treat them and the way you talk to them. And if they're old, and they're struggling financially, the way you honor your parents is by helping them, and supporting them financially. And so that's still honoring your parents. Okay, so leave your father and mother. Doesn't mean dishonour your parents. What it does mean, is they no longer number one in your life. Now obviously number one above all is God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's number one. But then your number one human relationship is your wife or your husband. It's not your parents anymore. So to to leave your parents, it means they are no longer your nuclear family. And I can now think in English. Then i say, family. In English it was only family. Okay, so, so it's not your family.
1: Your gesin is now, you have a gesin
0: family. Before. Demand the man in There's a new Your father, your, mother, your family. It okay, so they're no longer your nuclear family, although they are still family, extended family or wider family. And then you, you don't see your parents as authority figures anymore. They're not the authority figures in your life anymore to tell you make your bed and clean your shoes and put up your socks or whatever else. And then your dad, and I know that this differs from culture to culture, your dad is not the tribal chief. Your dad is not the spiritual uh, leader of the whole family. Your mom is not the matriarch. The matriarch. Yes, just in <laughs> Your mom is not the matriarch. It's not your older brother or the oldest brother's responsibility to sort out all family problems. Because that happens in some cultures. I know a man, in his culture, there were problems in his family and, I, and so I met him at a, at a, a place, we had a, at a coffee shop, I had a goat or a milkshake or whatever, and he had his coffee, and so we checked and I said, "Oh, what are you doing in Germany?" He said, no, my family has problems, my brother and his wife, I have to come to sort this out. That's how my culture works. I'm the oldest brother. I'm responsible for sorting out all these family problems. That is not biblical. I don't care what your culture is, what language you speak, what nation you are. The biblical teaching is every man is the head of his own house, and he must take the lead in his house, and every wife should follow her husband's lead, not her father's lead. Ephesians 4. Or Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 24. But Tells wives that the husband is the head of the home. She's to submit to her husband. Doesn't say father. Now you can ask your fa- your father for advice. You can call your dad. Uh, whether you're a man or you call your dad and say, I need some advice on this. But your, your dad's advice isn't the law, the means, and the Persians. It's not the final word to say, now you have to do it this way. And in some cases, kids don't know, children don't know how to say no to their parents. Why? Because their parents are supporting them financially. Or maybe they're they living with their parents in the house. And so they, now they don't have to say, No dad, we don't want to do it this way. Or no mom, we're not going to do it this way. And the dad's just going to say, I'm supporting you financially. You must do, do the way i say. Uh, where does verse 24 say, If you give enough money, You, control your, you can control your children's marriage. It doesn't say, that. It says leave your parents, Cleave to your wife, You become one flesh. You become one, A unity in that marriage. So I, I'm not saying it's wrong for parents to help children. Let's say they're really in a financial difficulty, to maybe help them. But I do want to say, be careful of it, because it can. It's very easy to start manipulating because you're giving the money, or for the parents to manipulate because they support you. So I would I would encourage any young couple, any, any young married couple, to say, uh, we're going to stand on our own feet. We must be financially independent. Uh, even if we're struggling a bit, but we're going to come through this. And, and I think the way to go about this is, even if your kids are still at school, so, Dunette, you're not a mother-in-law yet. about um, you very almost a mother-in-law. <laughs> and of course, a father-in-law. But teach your kids when they're in school. And I know this is odd. I as a parent, my kids are now in high school. And... It's quite hard to, to let go, to, okay, I don't need to make all the decisions for you. You, can, you give more and more responsibility to the kids. More and more, you, you help them to start making their own decisions. Because you're now training them and teaching them for when they leave the house. They're not dependent on you anymore. They can make their own decisions. And if you don't do it, unfortunately, what happens is you've got a 25-year-old son, and he's a mama's boy. His umbilical cord hasn't been cut. He's still clinging to his mother's dress, holding on to her dress. And and then then that kid grows. Now he's a 30-year-old man, but his mother's still packing his lunchtime for work. He's a 30-year-old man, and his mother has to make his bed. She's still making his bed for him. How are you teaching your son to be independent, to be a man and not a boy? And what happens very often is a mom like that and that's also, I'm just using an example, an an example. What happens is a mother like that, she struggles to let go of her son and the moment her son gets married, now there's this tug of war, dothra, between the mom and the daughter-in-law. Because I'm pulling this side for my husband and you're pulling that side for your son. And now there's this war who's going to get his attention. And then she starts interfering in the marriage. Or if it's a dad starts interfering in the marriage, and then you get these problems of the mom wants to say, where must the wedding be? Who must be invited to the wedding? And then she wants to start saying, she wants to start prescribing and say, no, 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 you can't call the kid that. You must give family names. What's your grandfather going to say? What's your dad going to say? It must be family names. And then she wants to say when you can discipline the children, how you must discipline the children, and where they just, dis- should, you, should you homeschool your kids, or should they go to a public school, and where they should go, and how often you must visit, I want you here every Sunday, my boy, for Sunday lunch. Um, and starts prescribing these kinds of things, and she wants to tell you where you must go on holiday, because you can't go on holiday when you want to, you must come on holiday with us, and we go in there, and then. Then she wants to tell you where, where you must have Christmas. Now Christmas is with us this year, remember? And you come this side and then Christmas is at your house and she wants to tell you what what you must cook for dinner. Sounds or gambling. I saw when I was looking for uh, you must go and check on Facebook the picture I have for the sermon, I got it from Philip. Where the, uh, the bride and the groom, it's their wedding photo. They're standing like this, and then there's this mom holding her son's hand. <laughs> <laughs> that marriage uh, didn't turn out well. As I was looking for pictures for the, to put on the blog with a sermon, there was one picture. I showed it to Deidre, to my wife. Wow. So the mom shows up at the wedding in, a, in the exact same dress as the bride. And you see the, the mom looking at the bride with her facial expression. And the bride just in disbelief. God, can you do this to you. That's a bit extreme. You see a mother like that, not only the, the examples I just gave, but these, these examples of the mother or the father trying to prescribe what you must do and what the marriage should be like and and so on, she's got got an unhealthy obsession. I don't think you get something like a healthy obsession. So maybe we should just say she has this obsession with herself. She wants to hold on to her kids like she's the hen and they the chicks. And sometimes, very sad, sometimes a mom like that does that because her own marriage was a failure. Her own marriage was a mess. And now she wants to control the kids' marriage because what happens is she becomes dependent on the children. Because her her husband wasn't good for her, her husband maybe even mistreated her. Or maybe the husband died. And now she has this, she's looking for fulfillment in her children and very often in her sons. She wants fulfillment in them. And the moment the son leaves home and he gets married, feels rejected because now this girl, that young girl, she feels rejected and what happens in many cases is the husband and wife, a husband and wife like that, uh, let's say her husband didn't divorce her but but they lived together, didn't have a good marriage and the moment the kids leave home, what happens to their marriage, their mom and dad? They split up. They get divorced. I know a lady like that, she told me that. She said, we knew it was coming. And when when I, when I she told me that, she was already in her mid-fifties. But she said, we knew it was coming. When I, when I was 18, my parents got divorced. And we knew it would happen. We saw this thing coming. Because what held that marriage together? The kids. The kids held it together. The, the husband, he put all his time and effort and his focus for 18 years. Or more. 20 years he put all his focus on work. The mom put all her focus on the kids. She's taken them to uh, extramural activities, to sport, to cultural activities, and to school in the morning, and now she has nothing to do for. Uh, Jay Adams again, uh, quote Parents who have built their lives around their children frequently end up in our can- counseling center around the time that the last child, child is leaving. Because they lived for their children all these years, they talk, interest, schedules, indeed their whole life structure has been built around their children. Then when the children leave home, they suddenly awaken to the fact all we have left is each other. And they dread it. Now I've only got my husband. Now I've only got my wife. They're going to have to spend the rest of their lives together. What is left now It's two strangers, this husband and wife. Two strangers, they have little or nothing between them except the children. They have failed to build a marriage throughout all these years. The marriage was held together by the children. End quote. So any parents parents who look for their fulfillment, they look to their kids for fulfillment. It's to the disadvantage of their own marriages ends to the disadvantage, denial of their children's marriages. Because the children are going to follow their example. The children are also now going to have, probably, child-centered homes. Everything revolves around the children. They're going to have child-centered homes, rather than focusing on their marriage. And yes, loving their children, but not focusing on their marriages, growing in their... And then they, they also put their children's marriages in danger, those kinds of parents. They put their children's marriages in danger because now they want all the attention on them. You must put your attention on me and drawing their attention away. you on the back in your mind, focus of mine, Put you on the, the back your, friend. taking it away from the spouse, the husband or the wife, and all the attention is on the parents. And so eventually you've got this miserable marriage again. And they're going to teach their children the same. And their children the same. And miserable marriages for generations. The parents were miserable in their marriage. And now they're making it just as miserable for the children. I know one such case. Of a, a woman, she had a miserable marriage. And then she did exactly that. She only had one child, a son. And all the attention. I want my fulfillment in my son. And what happened the moment that son got married? The mother was bitter toward her daughter-in-law. Why did you take away my son? And then, what happened in that marriage? It was fighting and fighting because of your mother interfering with your mother. And so, there's fighting and bitterness between mother, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. And in the end, the husband divorced his wife and moved back with his mother. Miserable. Here's another quote from Jay Adams. Although in-laws rarely intend to cause harm, their sometimes thoughtless and self-seeking actions can produce more problems in the long run than an outright attack. So me, 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 a square family problem is square enough to do But the time we're in market so, so give your child the freedom to enjoy their marriage. Give it to them to enjoy the marriage, to leave their parents and have a healthy marriage. And the way to do that is by simply refusing, by saying, I'm not going to interfere in my children's marriage. I'm not going to have a finger in the pie about I mean, if they have issues or maybe problems to deal with. Let them deal with it. I've heard this more than once through the, throughout my years in ministry. More than once where I where I hear that here's a husband and wife they had a fight and what happens? It's either the, the husband or the wife dad and calls the dad or the wife. mom, we had a fight. And then the next thing the whole family knows oh, you know they had a fight. And so interfering in business, interfering in people's marriages and what should happen is those parents should say to the children, listen, you're calling me, I'm referring you to the Lord. Go to the Lord, pour your heart out to Him, I love you, I'll pray for you. Go to the spiritual leaders of your church if you can't sort out the issues. See a biblical counselor if you can't sort out the issues, um, but I'll surely pray for you. Because you're actually making things worse by getting by letting then in here to listen, to tell them, come and tell me of all your marriage problems. Question, who are those kids going to talk to when you are dead? You're no longer there. Now they don't have anyone to talk to about their problems. You're making it harder. You're like a lioness. So here's the lion, the lioness. Her cubs are larger than she They're bigger than she but she still has to do all the hunting for them. They're sitting back. And if you've got a lioness like that doing all the hunting for the cubs, they can hunt themselves hunt for themselves, and they're big enough, bigger than her, if she keeps on doing the hunting, they're never going to learn to hunt for themselves. And if you keep on sorting out your children's marriage problems, they're never going to learn to sort it out for themselves, saying, my parents aren't going to sort this out for me. I need to learn to sort it out. So you think you are helping your children. You're not helping them. You're making it worse. You you're damaging their marriages by listening to all their complaints about my husband said this or my wife said that. Nothing is better for us, for parents and children, than to do verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And if everything if everyone if all of us do that, then you won't have fights in the marriage about your mom said this and your dad said that, but your parents, you those that's literally forgettable. It'll die down. You won't have kids who go to their parents and they share, they share all their heart secrets with their parents instead of sharing it with my wife or sharing it with my husband. Now I go to my parents and I tell them things my wife doesn't even know. If it's a birthday party, that's fine. But only for a surprise birthday. No other secrets. Or you have children. They go and gossip about their husband. They go to their mom or their dad, they gossip about their husband, they gossip about their wife. You won't have that if you follow verse 24. And you won't allow your parents to badmouth your spouse. You won't allow your mom to speak badly and poorly and ill of your husband. You'll say, no mom, I'm not going to allow you to talk that way about my husband. No dad, I won't allow you to talk that, I love you dad, I respect you, but I can't allow you breaking down my wife. Like that. Or mom talking that way about my wife. And you won't have the problem of children. If you follow verse 24, you won't have the problem of children. They, it's like forever they're trying to please their parents. Even if my wife is unhappy, as long as my mom is happy, as long as my dad is happy. And God doesn't want to that way. God wants you to please your wife, and to please your husband. Not, not first of all. First and foremost, you must please God. But He wants us to please our spouses, not our parents. You won't be like Jacob and Laban. You know that in, in the book of Genesis, Genesis 31. Jacob and Jacob is the son-in-law and Laban is the father-in-law. Man, those guys have problems. You think you have in-law problems, but read really that story. You see the fighting. It's like a cat fight between two men out of the bargain. Um, you won't have that kind of thing. Rather, well, if we follow verse 24, the kind of thing you're going to have is you're going to have Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 2, 3 4, where you see this tremendous respect Ruth has for her mother in law and the love Naomi has for her daughter in law, Ruth. Where well, you see you see in Exodus 18, Moses and his father in law, they have a great relationship. Uh, where there's a friendship, and here's a parent, a, a father in law, and a son in law, they got a friendship. And they talk about the Lord's goodness and they encourage one another, they build one another up. They're interested in one another's welfare. See what to see. I'm so pleased, you know, yesterday when I was finishing up for tonight's sermon, I sent a message to my mother-in-law and I thought I shouldn't send this message too quickly because, or uh, say it too quickly, this illustration of the sermon, because uh, it seems like my mother-in-law might be moving in with us because her health is really bad <laughs> and she needs help. So need it, I can to the that fantastic. So thank you. <laughs> so mom, I love you. So I sent her a message yesterday just telling her or asking how she's doing. Without saying anything about the service, she sent me a message back. And she said, I'm so thankful that you're my son, I sent accept you as my own son and really love you. And it was so nice to hear. And I could send back with all honesty that I I'm so glad that she's my mother-in-law. I do have a good relationship with her. And I'm thankful, not boasting or bragging about that. I'm just thankful for God's grace. And I think if we follow verse 24, then we'll see that in our marriages. Finally, number three, be one with your spouse. Be as in the temple. We're going to sort out all problems. Many years ago, I met a man who was so jealous of his wife and so overprotective that in the beginning of their marriage, he would take her, she would play sport, tennis. And he wouldn't allow her to take the car and go to tennis alone. I will take you. He would sit there for the whole practice. Just to make sure she's not cheating on him or um, unfaithful to him. Now verse 24 tells us, The man shall cleave to his wife. Hold fast to his wife. The Hebrew word literally means to stick like glue to his wife. But that doesn't mean you're so jealous and overprotective. You can't leave her for a moment because you you don't trust her. You just trust her. That's not what it means. What it means is that you unite yourself to this woman or to this man in your marriage as a husband and wife. You unite yourself to that person. You become one flesh, he says. You become one in marriage. Now that... Unity in marriage, that one flesh, obviously it's it's, it's expressed in sex, it's expressed in a sexual relationship, um, that one flesh. But it's more than that. It's much deeper than just a sexual relationship. In unmarried people who are, many of them are immoral. uh, That's not a one flesh relationship. Marriage is a one flesh relationship. So it means, it actually boils down to this husband and wife, they share their whole lives with each other. That's what it's about. And if you do that, if you really do the last part of verse 24, the first part of verse 24 becomes easy. So the last part, you become one flesh. There's really a unity and a friendship. Then it's much easier to leave parents and to say, right, we are a new family, a new decision-making unit. So how do you strengthen this one flesh relationship, this marriage? Well, first of all, you put God above your husband. You put God above your wife. Jesus is number one in your marriage. And then you confess your sin. You go to your wife and say, I haven't been the husband I should have been. I haven't been the wife I should have been. You confess your sin to the Lord. And then you trust in Jesus as the crucified one. Jesus who can forgive your sin. Jesus who can restore marriages. Jesus who can strengthen families and put their back together again and put all the broken pieces together. And then you start growing in your relationship with the Lord. Not on your own. Yes, there's a personal relationship. But also with your spouse, with your husband, with your wife. You start praying together. Reading the scriptures together. Coming to worship services together. Listening to the preaching of God's word together. Listening to good preaching sermons on the internet together. Reading Christian books together. Good Christian books. You can start with books. And even good Christian books on marriage. You can start with books by Paul Tripp or Wayne Mack or J. Adams, John MacArthur, and so on. And then typically, Francois, sure if you can put up the, the diagram on the screen. You know that diagram. So typically what's going to happen if the husband and the wife grow their relationship with the Lord. If the husband and wife from both ends of the triangle move up toward God, what's happening with their marriage? They're growing closer to each other. So they're not only growing closer to God, their marriage is being strengthened by their growth in their relationship with the Lord. Okay, thanks, Ramshaw. And then if you want to strengthen this unity between husband and wife, there also needs to be a healthy sexual relationship. So And then spend time together. Communicate about everything. Talk about everything. Share one another's burdens. Deal with my car so You know, I'm really discouraged about this thing at work. And you share each other's burdens. Or I had a hard day at home, the kids were just breaking. You know, he's off for beer. And then eat together. That is not a given thing. I'm sitting in front of my computer eating and my wife is sitting on her cell phone watching something eating. No. Spend times when you have meals together. I know it's not possible for everyone always because you're at work. But when you get home, no. Just do your thing and you do your thing. And of course Al can get mum's able. Eat together. Go out together. Uh, visit both sets of parents and try and split it equally if you can. It's not always possible because your parents might live very far away. But if it's possible, give a feel tight with all that little involved. And then, also just go out and have, uh, what's coming. name of free um, Communal friend. Okay, so in other words, it's not just the wife going out with her friends and you go out with your friends. No, have, have communal friends. Yes. Yeah, from Scott Bicker where you, you visit another husband and wife, or a single person you invite for dinner and it's your friend. Uh, Spend time with those friends and then watch a movie together, a good Christian, clean movie. Not just, oh, you're watching your movie and I'll sit there and I'll watch my movie. And then work work, um, on a project together. My wife and I did this some years ago, twice where we, uh, once we built a bookshelf, and I'm not a handy guy. It's just great. It was great spending time with my wife that way, 3rd of December, building the bookshelf. And another time where we sanded down our, our lounge floor. Um, and varnish the floor. That was a nice project that we did together. And then relax. Together. Not on your own. Laugh together and cry together. And go on holiday together. You think that's a given? Not always a given. In some marriages, I'm going on holiday with my parents. Bye. I'm going on holiday with mine. See ya. No, go together, go on holiday together. Do as much as you can, as, as often as you can, do things together. And if you want to do those things together, and you want to strengthen the unity, live together. That's not a given always. I had two counselling cases where a husband and wife came to in one case just the wife, in one case, and strangers, homeless strangers came to see me. They got marriage problems many years ago and in the one case the husband and the son lived in the Northern Cape and they married, they're not angry at each other and the wife's living in the East Ring. and they're working there and she's here and it caused tension, it caused problems. In another case the husband lived in Madagascar and his wife lived here. Now I know, I know that sometimes happens but it's not the ideal situation. The ideal situation is for a husband and wife to live together. I know of one case where the husband and wife lived in Kenton and they didn't have quote-unquote marriage problems. But the wife lived with her mother and the husband would go and visit her ever so often. He lived in another house. You're not going to be able to build a marriage effectively if you don't live together. (laughs) Live together. That's what verse 24 implies, right? Hold fast to your wife. Become one flesh with her. Be together. And if, if families, if families really apply verse 24, and there's a strong marriage bond, there's a union, there's a unity, all these other things will fall into place. So you're going to have a strong marriage, and you have, you'll probably, in many cases, then have a good relationship with your like a friend of mine, he's got a really strong marriage, him and his wife, and she just calls her mother-in-law ever so often just to hear how things are going. She's got a good relationship with her mother-in-law. And I'm not trying to tell you men you should call your mother-in-law uh, every week and just have a nice chat. But what I am saying is if you're going to apply verse 24 and you're a bride and the men start making jokes about mother-in-law... Then you as a man will be able to say, if you apply verse 24 and obey it, you'll be able to say, that's not how I see my mother in law at all. Actually, I've got a very good relationship with her and with the rest of money. Right. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word that has come to us this evening. And perhaps in some cases, especially, I uh, just think of my own preparation this week, Lord, where this word was like a sword to my soul. When I think of the busyness in life and thinking, am I doing it right as a parent, raising my children in the right way, Lord, I do pray that where you have wounded us, that you will heal us and that you will help us by the Spirit to be obedient to the principles laid down in your most holy word, in Jesus' name.